Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Quinn. And this is the Monstrous Woman Podcast. Fortnightly, we take an in-depth look at a woman or feminine monster who has fallen victim to the monstrous woman trope. We discuss the representation in different media, the real-world implications, and what we would change. The idea of this podcast comes from the monstrous feminine theory by Barbara Creed. This theory gives us a lens to look through when considering why femininity is so often painted as monstrous. Before we jump into the episode, we want to offer a quick content warning. Okay, so we're going to be talking a lot, or well, not a lot. We're going to be talking about domestic violence and predatory relationships. We're also going to be discussing a lot of topics related to slut-shaming and hypersexualization, as well as the sexualization of sapphic relationships. Yes. If any of this sounds triggering or a little heavy for today, please take care of yourself and skip this episode or come back later. Okay, finally, we have reached an episode dedicated to queer women. Hurrah! Today's episode is going to be about Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Possibly the best example of a relationship born out of fandom and then adopted into canon. I honestly can't even think of a pair, another another relationship like that, and I love that. It's They're pretty so darn special. cool that Harley went from a background character. I know, I know, and like that she was created for like a TV, tiny little background character in a TV show or like whatever, like the female Joker, like created as this terrible like whatever stereotype side character, and she's like blossomed into this amazing fucking queer character in DC Comics. It's like, I love it. I love it. It's amazing. It's amazing to see the evolution. Yes. We love morally gray sapphics. <laughs> okay, I'm just like really excited to get into this. It's like, this has been like some of the more fun research yes. um, and less reading heavy of the episodes we've had to do of late. Uh, but before we get going, what question did you bring Megan? Yes. I've also been very excited. I just want to say that Quinn and I are both bordering on delusional because of the amount of effort that this series has taken. <laughs> and so we're so excited to just watch like silly oh little God. TV show episodes. Um, <laughs> I know. It's like, oh wow, I don't have to read a book? And like, when, it, when, it, when the idea of this series came about, it's like, oh, we're reading comics. It's comics. It's fine. It'll be no problem. Guess what? It's still it's still reading. Yeah. <laughs> I also decided to pick major storylines for almost every character. So it's like multiple graphic novels a week. It, but that's fine. We're almost halfway there. <laughs> yep. Yep. We're, we're doing it. It's fun. This week, our question is, who is your favorite morally gray or anti-hero femme in media? Okay, when I read this question 30 minutes ago while I was setting up for this podcast, I immediately thought of Catwoman. Yes. Because I feel like she was my first experience with a morally gray character that I, like, recognized as a morally gray <laughs> character. 
And then I like fully got stumped because I can't think of anybody else at the moment. <laughs> So, so you come up with some other ideas while I like try and think. And there's a cat. I'm gonna take his bell away. <laughs> to be so honest, I'm just thinking of past episodes because all we do is talk about morally gray femmes and media. <laughs> um, true, true. And I think I'm gonna go with pacifay. Hang on, I changed my answer. Ooh. I think I'm actually going to go with Clemenstra, whose name I may not pronounce correctly, because <sighs> I'm going to be so honest. Wait, is that... Agamemnon's wife. Is that Helen's mother? Ag- Agamemnon's wife, yes. So yeah, Helen's sister. Awesome, yep. Helen's right. sister, okay. And so... All right. The, yep. like... Put it in the Greek mythology family tree. (laughs) Like, for the quickest version of why I love this character. Basically, so she marries Agamemnon, and then he goes off and is pretty much leading the Trojan War, the Greek side. Um, And if everybody remembers Mm -hmm. the little girl who is sacrificed on the island before they're able to sail to Troy, that is Agamemnon and Clemenstra's daughter. And Agamemnon lies to Clemenstra and says that their daughter's going to get married and then basically kidnaps and murders her in front. And then Clemenstra waits 10 years and slowly takes over the kingdom. And the day Agamemnon comes back, she tricks him and bashes his head in and murders him as vengeance for their daughter. I didn't know that part of the story and I, I love, love it. I love it so much. Um... <laughs> I love it so much. If you want, like, a really good retelling of it, uh, Jennifer Saint's book, Electra, and also, um, oh, I'm forgetting this woman's name. It's Claire Haywood or something like that. She wrote Daughters of Sparta, and that's also very good. But those two books depict the myth, like, really, really well. But yeah, I think she's my favorite morally gray. Awesome. I think I own Daughter of Sparta, and I've just have it's so good because it finally gives Helen's perspective <laughs> on the Trojan War, which it bothers me when like she's left out of the conversation. Um, yeah, big fan of that yeah. one. Yeah, there was a book I read. Like this is now completely off topic, but there was a book series I read when I was in like middle school, maybe that was called Nobody's Princess, and then the sequel was called Nobody's Prize. But it was about Helen's childhood. Oh! So it was sort of like before... It was really fun. And it sort of inserts her into the Jason and the Argonauts story. Has a really uh, good depiction of a queer Hercules. uh, Which is fun. um, Except it's very also traumatic. Uh, The story does not end up well for him or his lover. <laughs> yeah. Uh but there's also a really good depiction of a girl's period yeah. and I like fully remember just like freaking out while reading it in like reading time in like class. Oh my god, that's so cute. Like, oh my god, someone's going to know that I'm reading about a period. <laughs> Sometimes reading in public is such a distressing experience. I've been reading a romance novel on like a public park bench. And had to leave because I was like, too many old people are walking past me right now and I can't reconcile that. 
Yeah. Yep. I feel like I was at my height at the, of that, uh, just like the shame of whatever I was reading in like <laughs> middle school, early that high school. That is so Because I remember like one time picking up a book because it sounded like I would not judge books by its cover. So it'd be like, all right, this clearly looks like a romance novel, but on the back it's talking about how it's a spy novel. So I'm going to read it. And of course it was a romance novel and I'm reading it in cooking class. <laughs> Which is so, yeah, the vibes are so different. It's so difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Just trying to get back on track. <laughs> Quinn, did you? Back did on you track. Come up with an um, yep, I'm still thinking Catwoman. Yeah. Catwoman is my go to. I stick with it just because she was really the first person or like first char- character that I think I was like, oh, she can be both a good guy and yeah. a bad guy. And she's also amazing. Like, I think, yeah, I just love her. She was also one of the first comics that I bought. Chaotic Neutral Queen, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would be Chaotic Neutral. Honestly, the moral alignment sometimes confuses me. But, um, yeah, I love Catwoman. Did you watch the new Batman? Have we talked about this? I have not watched it. I, wa- I turned it on. Immediately turned I it off. Away? Like, less than five... I, well, yeah, it was like, it was literally less than like 30 seconds in and I was like, I'll come back to this. And I, I never okay. did. Um, I so think it's worth it for Zoe Kravitz's <laughs> Catwoman. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I will say they went all the way emo with Batman and that's like a little bit difficult for me. I don't like love that. But they also did use Nirvana as their like primary soundtrack song. So I was like, okay. There's enough good here. The ending is really mm-hmm. fucking weird. Can I spoil yeah. it? Go for it. It ends with Batman. You might have to cut it out. Or no, it's been months. Yeah, it's okay. Fun. If you don't want to hear the ending <laughs> of the Batman, skip forward slightly. Um, <laughs> but Robert Pattinson ends up being like a first responder. And there's like this weird shot of him like carrying a civilian and then like an American flag is in frame and it was so weird and it was very much like the city doesn't need a vigilante it needs a hero and heroes are firefighters and cops and I was like what happened where did this come from this is so strange okay yep cool okay I'm going again um but let's go into the character's summary of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. I sort of love that we're team, like tag-teaming them, um, but also, I don't know. They deserve their individual episodes, but they cannot be separated. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we did talk <laughs> about, like, <laughs> if they each needed their own moment, but they've been kept apart enough in comics that we were like, no more separating them. Yeah. Um, yeah, before we jump into the character summary, number one, I am sick. So that is what you're hearing, and I'm so sorry. And number two, I just want to point out that both of these women are PhDs. Amazing. Love it. (laughs) The doctors here cannot fix you. (laughs) No, yeah. I mean, I could use a psychologist, but I probably wouldn't go to Harley, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, and um, 
I'm sorry, but Dr. Ivy will just kill you. <laughs> yeah. Turn you into and I, I, I wouldn't be mad at her for it, but we'll avoid it if possible. <laughs> yeah. And, or Dr. Isley. Sorry. That's her name. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think it's fair to call her Dr. Ivy. I think she's <laughs> signed off on that. It's her preferred okay. name. Uh- <laughs> We're going to talk about their origins separately first. So, Quinn, will you tell us about Poison Ivy? Yes, I would be happy to. So, way back when, and then swinging 60s, Batman was an incredibly popular character because he had a hit TV show. And so DVD, no, so DC was introducing some new characters. One of these is Poison Ivy, who debuts in Batman number 181 in June of 1966. Amazing. Love it for that. Her. He w- she was created by Carmine Infantino and Robert Kenniger. At the time, we don't learn too much about her origins. We know she is a woman with incredible control of her pheromones, making her able to seduce whoever she wants. <laughs> we also know that she controls flora and fauna. Uh, Ooh. Wait. No, wait. Is fauna animals? Does she control animals? No, fauna is just another name for f- flora, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Plants. I mean, there's like, they're yeah, they're both types of plants. I think flora means it flowers, okay. and fauna means it doesn't. Or fauna. Okay. I could Google it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to. I believe you. You're. <laughs> I don't know if I believe me. <laughs> um. And so she controls flora and fauna, not animals, uh, just the plants. <laughs> With her okay, wait, this is saying fauna is animals. Oh, okay, so she controls the flora. <laughs> yeah, okay, so scratch that. Sorry, guys. I don't know why I said guys, no men listen to this podcast. <laughs> I feel like... Yeah, I feel, I feel like flora and fauna are always sit together, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Flora. All right, so she controls the flora, um, and she was given her powers by the green. I love how it's capital the and green. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. are you okay? And we, <laughs> and we know that she is both immune to and very knowledgeable about poisons and toxins. Hence the name, Poison Ivy. (laughs) About 10 years later, flash to like late 70s then, uh, we get the first version of Ivy's origins. We learn her name is Dr. Pamela Isley, and she has a PhD in botany because she's a badass. Her origins are retconned a bunch of times. At the gist, it's usually she is was seduced by an older man who experiments on her and causes her to con- uh, to contract her powers. So that's fun. Um, yes. <sighs> okay, but <laughs> then she gets over that trauma 
by moving to Gotham and becoming an eco-terrorist. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful, like, story of getting over trauma. Uh, because Poison <laughs> Ivy was one of the first women not to not be to be connected to any man crime boss or male crime boss, feminists really took to her and demanded a better origin story. She continually became more independent and eventually the uh, she had the goal of ruling the world slash letting the green take over. Uh, the mo and at her most modern origin story shows her born with her powers or oh okay I didn't know that okay but yeah so her most recent origin stories has her being born with her powers and motivated to become poison ivy because she had an abusive father and doesn't think men should rule so she's badass so extremely that. badass and cool yes. Yes, it's amazing. So, do you want to tell us about Harley? I do. Um, so, similarly to Ivy's origins, Harley has gotten a lot of updates as she has become more popular. Harley first appears in Batman the Animated Series, which is kind of unusual in and of itself. So, in the 1992 episode Joker's Favor, she was created by Bruce Timm, and Paul Dini, and originally was only going to be around for one episode, so she was just supposed to be a henchwoman in comedic relief. But she was so endearing and well-received that Harley became a full-fledged character and was given an origin in a later episode called Mad Love, which we're going to talk about. Um, Harley's origin changes, as we mentioned, but she is a psychologist who worked in who worked at Arkham Asylum, the prison all the evil supervillains go to in Gotham, where she was trying to help patients recover, um, but she's manipulated by the Joker while there and eventually breaks him out and sort of turns to a life of crime with him. They have a romantic relationship, but Joker is an incredibly abusive partner, and there is variation on whether Harley is just wearing makeup, whether Joker pushed her into the chemical vat that he fell into, or if she jumped herself, but as time goes on, Harley eventually leaves Joker, often teaming up with other women in Gotham like Ivy, um, so, like, sometimes she's, like, involved with the Birds of Prey, sometimes she's just involved with, like, uh, Catwoman or Batgirl. Um, and the relationship between Harley and Ivy became so popular that eventually, um, that became Daisy's focus for her. Yeah, it's really amazing how, I guess, the fandom has sort of taken to both these characters and in a way, mm -hmm. and, and that DC has actually responded to them and sort of given them what they wanted in a, in a respectful and thoughtful way. Yeah, it's actually amazing. Um, we talk about, like, in our friend group, fan activism a lot, and that can look like a lot of different things, but I think that this is a really fun example because it kind of feels like everybody rescued a real woman from a real abusive relationship, and I feel like mm -hmm. this arc of Harley's is, even though it's fiction, is proof that, like, you can find a better community and a better situation for yourself and I really like that that came from like outside pressure from women who were like no Harley is smart and capable and like that's not where we should leave her I just think that's incredible. yeah 
Yeah, and I think it's incredible that it started so soon after her creation. It was like mm-hmm. they created her and they were like, oh, well, we can do more with her, I guess. But then it was sort of immediate, like, and because it was, I, I don't know if this is because, but be, like, in my mind, it's sort of like, so she was, she grew as a character because of fans' influence. Then she got a background yeah. because of the fans' influence. And then the fans' influence changed that background and changed her story for the better, which I really, I really appreciate to see that, um, I don't know, it's something that we've, it's like within our lifetimes type thing. It, it's, it yeah. shows that these characters are malleable and that hope is alive for the whole like concept of this podcast (laughs) no i i completely agree and i feel like harley was such an easy character to latch on to even in the batman animated show where she was like with joker and even in that show like she eventually separates and becomes more in um cahoots I don't know why that's the only word I thought of. With Ivy, (laughs) like, even within the the trajectory of that show, which was in the 90s. And so, like, she was... And I remember being, like, a little kid and being like, oh, she's a doctor, and she also does whatever the fuck she wants, and she's, like, a really capable character, like, physically in Mm -hmm. fights and stuff. And it was, like, so cool to see this really tiny person, like, taking out huge goons and enemies and stuff, and, like... I, you know, the whole plot of one of the episodes we're going to talk about is that, like, she was able to make a plan work that Joker couldn't and stuff. So even when yeah. they didn't mean to, they sort of made a good, I don't know if role model is the right word, because I don't want to say that Harley Quinn's a role model. <laughs> exactly. But just, she clearly had so much um, will and autonomy always. And that was so interesting, and I think that's a lot of why people were like, like, no, no, we have to do something good with this character. Like, she can't be stuck in this relationship, because she has so much autonomy, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're creating this character. If this character existed in real life, eventually she would leave him. Yeah. For sure. And even though it was an accident that they made Harley a survivor of domestic violence, you know, like, people were not writing it thoughtfully from the beginning. I am glad that that Mm -hmm. is her trajectory, because now it benefits so many people. Um, And there's, like, a good representation in media of that arc for a person. Yeah. Yeah. And, yes, it's so nice. And then I love that sort of I... Uh, Poison Ivy has sort of been taken along with that. Like, we don't have a bad example. Like, we did not uh, go into a bad example of, of, or, like, the worst example of Poison Ivy or depiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue it's Uma Thurman. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is sorry, so Uma. fair. <laughs> I get yeah, I think that was probably one of my first inf- uh, uh, introductions to that character, other than the animated series, where she is definitely more of an independent badass character. Like, she does sort of yeah. take uh, Harley under her wing in one of the early episodes, which is really amazing. Uh, and sort of goes like, are you sure? You you seem like you're in an abusive relationship. Uh, and... <laughs> And, of course, it doesn't really go anywhere at that time, because Harley's not at that point. 
Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but it's a really good episode. Uh, but I love that uh, Poison Ivy has been taken from Uma Thurman with poison lipstick and who knows what else. Uh, <laughs> so alarming. Yeah, to this amazing uh, queer character who's like in, like, I don't know, in so many. Like, I don't know. I love the, I don't know. I have not, we'll talk yeah. about it, but I have not do- dove deep into the Harley uh, TV show, but I really want to. Uh, I just haven't yeah. had the um, full excuse to watch every single episode, but I, every one that I've seen, I've loved. <laughs> and Har- yeah. uh, Poison Ivy is such an amazing character in that show. <laughs> I love Poison Ivy and the Harley show so much. And I I agree, her representation of Batman the Animated Series, while it's not perfect, of course, it is pretty well done for the time and, like, yeah. all things considered. Because she is part of the rogues gallery as, like, an independent character, as much as Joker, Riddler, anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I like... And her intentions are very clear, like, she is an eco-terrorist, and that is her goal. Um, And the alliances she forms in the show are always really interesting, and I like that a lot. Um, I honestly can't think of a character that Uma Thurman has played that I would consider good representation for women. (laughs) (gasps) I know, I'm like, I love her in The Producers, but that's just because I have a... (laughs) Love for Mel Brooks that is just, I don't know. <laughs> <It> does... <laughs> yeah. And it's a terrible character in that movie. I love it. If you want it, flaunt it or whatever. If you got it, flaunt it. That's what it is. <laughs> like, really, I'm trying to think of a role that she's played that, like, I could watch all the way through and not quit halfway. And I don't think I could think of I know, it's like, oh, you gotta say Kill Bill, but also, no, I don't really, or what, yeah, Kill Bill's not a child, no, no, I had to watch that in college, yeah. and I was like, why are we, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what you think it is. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I find Ivy a really interesting character, because I'm not, like, completely opposed to a femme fatale character, but it has to be written for, by a woman for it to work, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, and Ivy obviously has not always been written by a woman or an non-binary yeah. person, and so I really like more current adaptations of her, where like her powers can include those things, but like don't even necessarily have to, because the fact that she can um control all plant life should really be like enough, you know? Like she should be able yeah. to handle things. Yeah, from that's that a pretty angle. darn big power. <laughs> Right. Yeah, the over-sexualization just, like, isn't really necessary for her, and I really do like that the Harley show kind of did away with that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really get away with the, uh, do away with the sexualization of Harley, but that's also because Harley, Harley wants the, or, like, whatever. Harley is Harley, so, like, it doesn't yeah. matter. She'll kick your ass if you right. like it. If you do something that she doesn't want you to do. Yeah. And I think a good example of that, of, like, the, I mean, the male-female gaze is kind of a false binary. It doesn't exactly work that way. But kind of an example of that is if you watch the Suicide Squad live-action movie and then you watch the Birds of Prey live-action yeah. movie. 
And Harley is not wearing a ton of clothes in either, but the way that it's done in the Birds of Prey movie where she chose her outfit and it still makes sense for her character and what she needs to do in her body yes. throughout. It's ve- And the show does a similar thing of like, yeah, she's going to wear a crop top and shorts. That's never been the problem. The problem was when it sa- when the crop top said daddy's little monster <laughs> and you forced her to change yeah. in front of everybody. Like you put her clothing in such a weird light and it doesn't actually need to be in that light for her to still feel like she's Yeah, in it's like how it's sexuality. directed and how it's shot <laughs> versus what it is. <laughs> Yeah. Like, even sure. in the Batman animated series, like, it's like, those, like, Poison Ivy, she's wearing a burlesque outfit, but she's not necessarily mm-hmm. sexual because she's a child, it's a children's show, it's not, like, it's, I wouldn't say, well, they're, they are sexy because the way that we view them, and they're like, but, I don't know, not necessarily, I don't know, maybe they are. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I wouldn't say the animated series is, like, over the top. Like, you could definitely tell, Exactly. a lot of men were involved in the the drawing of it just because every woman has the same body type. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's not the, it's, for comics, it feels very tame. And, like, that's definitely a low bar. That's sort of what I'm going for, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, um, so I told you about the Batman uh, and Harley Quinn movie that's on HBO. Fully recommend you watch that. But there is a scene where, so in it, Harley has left the Joker and she's working at a bar that is like basically a, a like Hooters style restaurant that it's superhero themed. It's like, or well, super Mm. women themed, I should say. So all of the waitresses are dressed up in the super sexy versions of all of the costumes, including Harley. Harley is in there and she has sort of a bizarro costume of herself that she's wearing. And it's Mm -hmm. such a, just like, it's a very brief, like not even like two minutes, but it's, that anim- the way that movie is animated is in the style of the 90s cartoon. Mm. And I fucking loved it. It was amazing. Like, at one point, some guy slapped her on the ass when she's in the restaurant and she breaks his arm. Like, <laughs> and the Excellent. waiter, the guy behind the, like, in the kitchen is just like, he's just like, she broke my arm. And the guy behind the kitchen is just like, Look at the sign, and the sign says, don't touch the girls, we're not responsible. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good example of um, men have this opinion that the things that women do are for them, and women are aware that the things that they do are for themselves. (laughs) And so, like, when Harley dresses like Harley wants to, it's not her fault that men perceive her a certain way, and so she should be allowed to intervene if they act inappropriately. Yeah. Sort of. I love that about both these characters. Um, I do too. Do we want to talk about anything else before we go on to the specific um, ver- adap- adaptations? What am I thinking? I don't even know. Whatever. Things we watched, sources that <laughs> we did. Yeah. I think I think all of those work. Um, I do want to talk, just like we touched on it for a second, but I want to talk a little bit about Ivy's powers. Um, okay. 
just because I think they're really interesting in the context of consent. Because for a lot of Ivy's powers, she has, like, extra control of her pheromones, and she can basically, like, lure men. Which is, like, so heterosexual, because, like, it's so strange. But (laughs) not, not harping on that part of it quite yet. Obviously, it's fucked up that this is, like, from the same train of thought that, like, men can't control their impulses and so they're not responsible for their actions. It's this idea that, like, women turn it on or turn it off and then men can't help themselves. Um, And so even though it kind of seems like Ivy is the driving force of her powers and is in control, it's still, like, based off a rape myth and so it's so damaging. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and like we mentioned before... It's not necessary because she has the plant powers, right? And so, I don't know. I just think it's really weird that that they ever did that. And, like, it's weird that they kind of tricked people into thinking it was feminist when, like, taking consent away is definitely not. Yeah, and it's, like, depending on her version, that seems to be her main power. Like, in Uma Mm -hmm. Thurman, the Uma Thurman, that is her main power. I don't, like, she does control plants, but her main thing is, like, oh, I've got the blazing lips and I can point. I don't know. I don't really understand it. Uh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think those are ever the best versions of her character whenever we see her leading heavily on that power. It is interesting, though. Like, I don't know. How, did they? Because I have not watched all of Harley, uh, the Harley Quinn TV show. Um do they sort of grapple with that power uh, with Poison Ivy's character in that? They do. Um, there is, like, she has control over her pheromones, and, and I don't, I've never watched an episode where she really uses them, but I've watched an episode where they accidentally get out, and it has, like, a, an effect where she has to, like, clean up that mess. So it's still kind of in play. But it just reminds me of, I have very complicated feelings about Ruth Bader Ginsburg because, frankly, she's partially responsible for the mess that we're in right now um, with the Supreme Court because, you know, you Mm should have stepped down before 80-something. But whatever, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, But she did make a very excellent point during her legal career before she was on the bench where she basically said that for any compliment that you give towards women it's like that men give towards women there's usually something fucked up and misogynistic beneath it if you can like pay close enough attention and it's like oh girls are more mature and really it's just girls have to take responsibility and be caretakers at a young age like girls are not actually Mm -hmm. more mature it's just more expected of them and I think this is similar of like it's not actually that Ivy's like super cool and control men it's that men believe that women have these like weird pheromone powers and so they're not responsible for how they react to them and like if you want to give Ivy mind control powers which is essentially how these function that just do that it does not have to be sexual yeah it's just very strange and i think yeah when she leans on that more than her like super cool plant powers you know it's gonna be like a bad adaptation yeah yeah like i just realized that she does use it in the harley 
a Batman and Harley Quinn movie, but it is just like very briefly, I need to get this job done. So I need to hypnotize this man. Um, and I was looking away when she applied it. So I don't remember if she kissed him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. I have complicated feelings on it. And I know that like consent is a more recent conversation. So these powers have been more recently put into a different light, but also like it was always bad, even if we didn't recognize exactly. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But alas, I don't think we can force DC to give up the powers completely. <laughs> Or at least not um, yet. We've forced them to do a lot so far. <laughs> and they're actually listening, so it's sort of nice. Um. <laughs> DC Comics, we know you're avid fans of our podcast. So if you could make this change for us. <laughs> Honestly, this this series has gotten me way more into DC po- or DC Comics than I have ever been. All right, so you ready to go into the very worst? I am. Okay, we're deep diving into my childhood for this segment. (laughs) I know, really. I think this is actually one of the few episodes of this show that I remember watching on TV when I was a kid. Um, But yeah, we're going to be talking about the episode Mad Love of Batman the Animated Series. Which I do own the box sets of all four seasons and was raised watching nice. the show. So my earliest memories are um, watching the show and then like playing outside as the characters. I you just gave me a full on flashback. I used to have the <laughs> I had of um the Max Fleischer Superman animated movies. Um, from like the, I don't even know, 40s, 30s, 40s, um, on VHS when I was a kid. And <laughs> of course that was you probably did. my first experience with, um, superheroes as a kid. Um, but Aww. yeah, my dad was a big Betty Boop, Max Fle- Fletcher, Fletcher animation fan. So we had the Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So we're going into Batman. I know. I really don't like him. But there's a really scary, like, whatever. Those movies are good. I will stand by that. Those, there's one where there's, like, metal monsters that come and I still have nightmares about those robots. Um, so (laughs) we're going to be tearing apart our childhood Batman style not Superman, because guess what? You can't tear apart Max Fleischer. We're talking about Batman the Animated Series. Yes, because we don't respect nostalgia. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, Max, do you want to give us the summary for this episode? I would love to. So, we open on Commissioner Gordon, which all cops are bastards, Going to the dentist. I and sort of, of love it's... how Harley the Harley Quinn show has leaned into the A cab of it all. <laughs> yeah, they really have. It's a great depiction of how shitty police are. 
Um, I'm trying to remember, like, to what extent we've talked about ACAP as an ideology on the podcast. Because I don't think I've ever done, like, a full TED talk on it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think much, but, yeah. We at at some point. All if cops are bastards. <laughs> yeah. And at some point I'll, like, talk about why Abraham Lincoln's the worst and everything. But <laughs> for right now. One um, day. <laughs> It's basically that shitty joke about how men don't want to take care of themselves, so their wives have to become mothers and do it. Um, but anyway, the dentist is actually the Joker. So Harley and Joker are trying to kill Gordon, but they're stopped by Batman because Joker left behind a really sloppy clue. Joker is upset and that feels scene like... scene is terrifying, though. <laughs> that really scared me as a kid, actually. Like, when Joker turns around as the dentist... And then, like, this, the drill coming towards his forehead, I was just like, I under, like, my mom was a dentist, so I never had a fear of dentists, but, like, I was like, I understand children's fear of dentists now. They're putting it in the cartoons! <laughs> yeah. No, it was really scary. Also, they draw Joker to have, like, black eyes. Like, his eyes are sort yes. of reversed, so they just have, like, a little white dot in them, and it's so scary. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and also, Mark yeah. Hamill doing an excellent job. Luke I was Skywalker. about to say Who? that. I, I, <laughs> I really I did grow up knowing Mark Hamill as the Joker instead of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I had no idea that he was the Joker until, like, I don't know, he was doing press for one of the recent Star Wars movies, and he was just like, oh yeah, most pe- a lot of people recognize me for the Joker now more a day- nowadays. And I was like... What? (laughs) Voice acting king. He's in everything. Ozai from Avatar The Last Airbender. He's in, um, I know he's in at least one Studio Ghibli movie. I love him. Not that we compliment men on this podcast, but I do love Mark Hamill. Yeah. Is he in She-Ra? I feel like She-Ra would be something he would be in. Oh, I'm going to Google that because I would like to know that. Yes, he plays Grey Skull <gasps> in She-Ra. Oh my god! <laughs> so he plays, like, the main bad guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, pretty much his niche, I think. He has a very scary <laughs> voice. <laughs> okay. Yes. Getting back I've on track. I've seen a lot of Hordak fanfic. Whatever. <laughs> J- Joker fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's so good. Okay. Um... Okay, Harley and Joker are trying to kill Gordon, but they're stopped by Batman because Joker left behind a really sloppy clue. Joker's upset because he feels like he's slipping and he has because a fragile man ego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you could literally just stop leaving clues, but whatever. We'll get into Joker's psychology later. So he becomes obsessed <laughs> with taking Batman out for good, uh, killing him. So Harley tries to help. She, like, tries to distract him or give ideas, but Joker is abusive and literally, like, throws her outside to her pet hyenas. God. Every time he, like, interacts with her, it's a little, like, it's it's very, uh, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I don't, like, I don't want it. I don't want to see it! Yeah. It is really scary. Um, this causes Harley to reflect on how she ended up here, and we get a flashback of her origins. So we see Dr. Harley Quinzel, fresh out of her PhD program, working at Arkham Asylum. 
We see Joker and Harley kind of eyeing each other in this weird way, and eventually Harley becomes his doctor because no one else wants to do it, and she's fascinated by his mind. Harley expects Joker to be this insane criminal, but he prevents but he presents himself as a vulnerable and broken man, which surprises her. Eventually, she falls in love and adopts the persona of Harley Quinn because Joker pointed out that her name is similar to Harlequins from Circuses. So she breaks him out yeah. of Arkham. And she even points out that, that he's not the first one to do it. So, like, I, it's sort of, I don't know. It's an old joke he's not the Joker first one to what? type thing. He's not the first oh, one to call yeah. her Harley yeah, Quinn. Yeah, she got that a lot as a kid. Uh, yeah. I, which surprised me, because I definitely never got that nickname. I had a lot of nicknames because my name was Quinn, because no one no one believed me that that was my full name. They all thought it was Quindolin, Quinnifer. Literally, I had someone who thought my name was Quinnifer. Like, <laughs> um, Interesting. I, yeah. I had a lot of nicknames. Never Harley Quinn. Uh, until uh, the Suicide Squad movie started coming out. And then I started getting Harley Quinn, or Harley Quinn things from people. And I was like, haha, clever. <laughs> um, so back in the present, Harley comes up with the perfect plan to kill Batman, thinking that will win Joker back, and she executes it. She ends up having Batman chained up and dangling over a tank of piranhas upside down so that he dies with them smiling at him, something that Joker didn't manage to figure out. But when Joker gets there, he's furious that she did this without him. He lets Batman go, and he pushes Harley out of a window. Harley ends up in Arkham recovering from her injuries and initially says she's done with Joker, but she sees he left her a flower and a note, and it implies that she'll go back to him. Yeah, yeah, it really ends on a low note, um, which honestly I think is really amazing for a kid's cartoon of just, uh, yeah, a kid's animation of this period. Like, Batman is so ahead of its time (laughs) in that way. Like, they really took these characters seriously in this animated show, and it was the 90s, you did not have to. Uh, they truly did not give a shit about children at that point or their content. Uh, <laughs> which is probably yeah. why this content is pretty darn adult. Um, but still, it's really, it's mm-hmm. aged, it's aged artfully, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, this whole series is very adult, I would agree. Um. It's weird because, like, it's kind of realistic in the sense that a person in an abusive relationship typically attempts to leave seven times before actually leaving. Um, oh, really? Is that so the So this number? cycle is very accurate. Yeah. Wow. Um, but they didn't, like, intentionally do that in a positive way. So it's like, well, you don't get points for that. Yeah. Like, they were sort of, I don't know, going with a stereotype of the beaten woman in that period. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Uh, I feel like they just like, oh, we created this character as the sidekick to Joker. So, and at the time, characters are basically sort of static. So, she has to go back to him. That Like, eventually she'll go back to him. Right. It's like, these 
Right. Like, even, like, the, the, way, the format of this TV show, these episodes are being played out of order, in no specific order, whenever they're put on yeah. whatever, you know? So, there can't be any emotional growth, unfortunately, within an episode. Like, the, one episode can't really impact the next, unless it's a two-parter, which those sucked. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the second part never came on. Next. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it is sort of, it's it's suffering from the format that it's in. But at the same time, it is making really interesting sort of choices. Yeah. And the show eventually does transition to be a little bit more plot driven. But mm-hmm. this early in the series, like, every single yeah. episode, you're right, is like a closed loop where they have to basically start out where they began. <laughs> I mean, finish mm-hmm. where they began. Um, <laughs> uh, can we talk a little bit about how Joker treats Batman versus how Joker treats Harley? Because I think that's Oh, you so mean his dream boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... It it's very um, <laughs> uh, clear that Joker loves Batman more, and Batman knows it. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really really weird. And if you read like Batman comics, it very much is stated in the text that Joker is in love with Batman, and mm-hmm. that he has this like psychotic infatuation, love obsession with him, and like that's why Joker really won't kill Batman. Um, because he feels like it's, like, their destiny. And there's even this comic, I think it's the Court of, it's in the New 52, it's, like, early New 52, Batman, where he looks at Joker, and he sees that Joker's, like, pupils expand, and Batman's like, holy fuck, he's in love with me. Like, you can, like, literally see that. Um, and I remember that as a kid, and it's, like, weirdly homoerotic, but, um... (laughs) Yeah, and so, like, that's kind of the psychology of Joker is that he, um, he feels like he only exists because of Batman, both in the Mm -hmm. literal sense that Batman's the person who trips him into the vat of acid by accident, but also because Batman won't kill him and he won't kill Batman, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's extra weird when you put it next to a person that he's actually supposed to be in a relationship with, who he is abusive towards. Yeah, I, I sort of wonder if that's why, like in Suicide Squad when they had Harley and Joker, that didn't work, and I sort of wonder if that's because Batman wasn't there. You know, like <laughs> we we see Joker being abusive to Harley, but we don't see him doing anything really else emotionally, and normally that other emotion is his sort of. Things towards Batman. Uh, it normally that's violence, yeah. but still, you can tell that he cares about something rather than it's seemingly caring about nothing. Um, but- yeah. I think Joker only really works when Batman's around. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, because wh- Batman's the reason he does anything. It's the reason that he manipulated Harley and uses her as a sidekick. Like, it's all part of his big like, brigade or whatever with Batman. So, yeah, I think it is really weird when he's, like, just a, like, regular abusive partner. Like, because he's not a yeah. regular person, so it doesn't work. 
No, it doesn't. Uh, and it's sort of terrible to say that. It's like, uh, this character doesn't work as an abusive asshole. He needs another abusive asshole to play off of. <laughs> yeah, but he's supposed to be like pure anarchy. So it's like you can't take him out of his infatuation. It's already hard to tell why he does it, what he does. Like, you can't make it impossible to tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, That said, it's really clear (laughs) in this episode, um, like, sort of why he's doing everything. He wants to impress Batman while he's killing Batman. But he wants Batman's reaction to Batman's death. And Batman can't mm-hmm. react to Batman's death because Batman would be dead. So he he's, like, sort of going through these, like, emotions of, like, I want to kill him, but I can't kill him, but I want to kill him. Uh, and uh, Harley sees yeah. that and is like, okay, I can problem solve and I'll kill Batman and then we can be together. And it's like, no, you don't feature anywhere in Joker's plans um, other than maybe clapping while Batman dies. Um yeah I think too like it's interesting how Harley doesn't understand Joker but Batman does so well Mm -hmm. because Harley thinks that this is going Harley sees Batman as in the way of her Joker's relationship and feels like if Batman would die everything would be better Joker and I could have a happy life together um and so she she goes to like you said problem solve um but really, Joker is just using Harley as a pawn, and so Batman's aware of that. And I think, like, it makes sense for Batman's character because he does, like, pseudo-psychology, and that's why he's able to, like, understand the world's all greatest detective. Yeah, all that bullshit. Um, <laughs> and so it, like, makes sense that he can understand all of that, but it's so fucked up that he's a quote-unquote hero, and he manipulates harley and puts her in a horrible position because he knows he's making the abuse that she's going to endure worse by bringing joker there and all of the the things that he does in the episode and all of the ways that he baits her into into upsetting joker more and more and more Mm -hmm. and i don't know it's just like so fucked up that he understands joker and only uses that to his advantage and he doesn't see harley as somebody who is worthy of rescue and I do, I think this, that's sort of in this episode and not in all of those up ep- the episodes where Joe, or where Batman and Harley meet, I do remember there being incidents where um, Batman basically says like, Harley, you are in an abusive relationship and I would like to help you get out of it. And she sort of sets, sits a yeah. hyena on her um, or something like that. And, and it's like, that, that's not out of character yeah. for Harley. Um, but, so he does sort of reach out that sort of helping hand to Harley, um, but she needs to sort of come to that, um, decision on her own, and it almost seems like she like, and I think that's sort of why he falls, falls for Harley's trick in this episode, because he wants her to sort of come to that realization. So when she called him and says, hey, I'm finally leaving Joker and I have all the dirt, he's just like, yes, you've done it, girl. I'll be there. (laughs) Uh, And unfortunately, she wasn't at that point yet. (laughs) It it does honestly remind me of my real life experience of um, 
instances where a cop goes to a domestic violence call and fills out the paperwork and everything, and then a few days later, the survivor retracts the information and decides not to press charges, and how angry the cop gets. Because, you know, they thought that this person was going to do the quote-unquote right thing and then doesn't, um, and they feel like they've wasted their time. Um, And I think Batman feels a little bit manipulated and then in turn manipulates Harley back. Which is, like, a wild way to react to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. It is, like, these, a really weird love three triangle. characters love their manipulation. I know. It's, like, this is not polyamory, um, but it is a weird love triangle, and um, it's more of a hate triangle, um, but the, the hate is also love. <laughs> yeah. It's so fucked up. Do you want to talk a little bit about Harley's origin? Okay, yeah. Um, I I really love that she is a psychiatrist or psychologist. Yeah, psychologist? I think she's a psychiatrist. Okay, psychiatrist. That's, okay. That's what I said first. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like that she's a psychologist. Um, I love it when they have, like, a brainy background to uh, any sort of character um but then also this character is so interesting and we have this sort of vision of or like when she's first introduced she's just sort of like this ditzy sort of a clown character to be there to do the punchlines behind joker and she's and joker is like of course doing a whole bunch of dumb jokes so she does a whole bunch of dumb jokes so you sort of think of her being like sort of like a dumb dumb character and then of course we get this background and she's not a dumb character she's extremely intelligent and unfortunately that's her downfall and um it sort of reminds me about how like only like only smart people are in cults like cults target people with phds and college degrees because uh like I don't know, it's like they can buy into stuff a little bit more like oh here's this paper that someone wrote it's proof um, I don't, I don't really know the psychiatry behind why that is, but, uh, it's interesting that Harley sort of falls into that, um, statistic of getting sucked yeah. into, um, a psychopath sort of web. Yeah, I agree so much. Also, thank you for saying that I'm smart, even though I was in a cult briefly, that's really sweet but um <laughs> being born into it is different <laughs> um i think oh my god i'm so my voice is getting worse it's i'm deteriorating in front of everybody's ears um okay but the point the point that i'm gonna make before my voice dies out completely i feel like the episode of friends where phoebe um, loses her voice partially, and then she's like, oh my god, I sound so sexy, and so, like, tries to sing a bunch of songs during the time <laughs> where she's sick. She's like, I've never mm-hmm. sounded better, because I'm just gonna keep recording. Um, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, getting back on track here, I think that there's this huge myth that, like, people are responsible for their own abuse that they endure, 
in something that I've had to tell so many like past clients when I was working in a DB shelter is that you're not doing anything wrong by not expecting abuse. If you're not an abusive person, you have no reason to expect abuse of others. And so you, you're not dumb for being manipulated. You're just a good person who didn't think others were going to manipulate you because you don't manipulate people. And I like that Harley directly contradicts that stereotype that, you know, like dumb people are the ones who are in those situations. Um, which, like, the word dumb is, like, problematic anyway. But, um, yeah, exactly. I, so I agree. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's so cool that um, she's a PhD and really capable in everything because survivors are not, like, there's nothing lacking about them. And the also, like, in a way, she has so much to offer and that makes her a target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like she goes in sort of looking for something out of Joker and unfortunately to Joker that makes her a target and uh, right. he's sort of the king of manipulation. So um Yeah, he can he's do so that. manipulative. He yeah, he um for anybody who hasn't seen the episode, he tells all these fake stories about an abusive childhood. He says like that his dad used to hit him and blah blah blah. And oh, like the at only one time point, he made like, his dad laugh is at the circus, and then after or saw his dad laugh is at the circus, and then afterwards he tried to do what the clowns did, and his dad beat him, and yeah. Harley like melts for him. And it's it's I think it's so natural to want to understand people, especially if you're in Harley's field. And so to mm-hmm. find out that this person is actually a victim and that you could stop a cycle of violence and stuff, I, like, of that's such a good instinct, you know, to trust that they're telling the truth and to want to help them. But then yeah. later you learn that um, he tells those stories to everybody and Batman's yeah. able to be like, oh, here's six of the different versions that I've heard. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's just sort of, like, Harley's introduced as a sort of, like, recent graduate. This is sort of her first posting. I think she's actually interning at Arkham Asylum. Woof! As an internship. Uh, Woo! Uh, But Batman is sort of, like, he's he's an experienced hand when it comes to to Joker. Uh, So he's sort of been Joker's therapist for years now. And uh, it's he's like, okay, unfortunately, Harley, you were manipulated and you were not experienced enough to sort of see that manipulation happening. But that does not mean anything bad to you. But let's try and figure this out. And unfortunately, yeah. she doesn't really want to do that. She doesn't need someone else to help her figure something out. She'll figure it out for herself, even though it takes her a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um... It is interesting. I also think this is a bit of a change in topic, but Harley fits into some really odd tropes. And I'm trying to think if if I can come up with other characters of where like the like sexy insane woman um is used because Harley is like pretty sexualized in relation to her being actually like criminally insane. Yeah. I sort of wonder if it's a little bit, like, sort of like Alice in Wonderland mad, you know, like, um... Yeah. 
It's like the manic pixie dream girl emphasis on the manic. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes mental health issues are glamorized. Um, And I think it's sort of in, like, the same vein as, like, when drug use is, like, glamorized. You you know, Mm -hmm. where, like, these really extreme, really horrible um, illnesses. Because, like, addiction is a mental illness. Um... But it's, like, really strange because, like, you can tell the fact that she, like, looks really innocent but isn't, is, like, supposed to be doing a certain thing. And it's super disturbing. And she's very childlike. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of stuff. But, like, I don't think we could play, like, spot that fetish because... It's like all the fetishes. Like it's like all right. It's like all of gymnast. them. It's the ba- the baby voice. It's also the almost New York, New Jersey, whatever accent. So it's sort of like <laughs> she's a baby, but them. she's gruff. <laughs> it's really weird. She like it rides really a is. motorcycle, but is like a literal child. Like it's but has a PhD. You know who she remind? It reminds me of um. Bernadette in Big Bang Theory. Did you ever watch oh, that yeah. show? I've watched yeah, very so like, little of that gr- show because I hate it, okay. but I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so she Bernadette has like a baby her- voice and stuff. Yes, she has a baby voice, but she's also like a, sort of a very strong character. Uh, it sort of takes control of a room and whatever. Um, her marriage as well <laughs> uh with it, yeah. it that sort of part of the appeal of her of just her being <laughs> like oh wow she just seems really nice when you first meet her but also she's extremely assertive it's like this sort of duality in this one little ca- little character um mm. and i feel like that's sort of the similar with harley quinn except a little bit more violence yeah <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about for this episode um I don't know I guess we already mentioned like the other sort of depict like other episodes with Harley um in them and I think I, I really like there's one with Harley and Ivy um where Harley sort of goes with Ivy, which is really fun, um, which is a nice mix for this uh, episode. And I think it's sort of the origin for a lot of the, yeah, um, well, the future for her character. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Girls' Night Out, favorite yes. episode of the um, series. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend everybody it's watching a, that. It's amazing how many classics are in in the Batman. I know the Batman animated series. <laughs> yeah, this might cause me to rewatch everything. Honestly, it I was know, not right? as bad as I thought. Like, it kind of holds up. Oh. I wasn't like pulling my hair out. No, it's a really fun watch. Fun, easy watch. It was nice. I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch another one. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is kind of fun. Yeah. Exactly. So for the being the very worst, it was really fun. Uh, but now to the very yeah. best. I actually love this show. Yay. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. So we the very best is normally where we talk about something we actually like, but since we actually liked the very worst, so now we're just gonna fucking love the very best, which is amazing. <laughs> it's a nice yeah. feeling. <laughs> we're so excited. This doesn't happen that often for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost like not a Monstrous Woman episode. Uh, for for our very best segment, we're going to be discussing the season two finale of Harley Quinn TV show on HBO. It's called Something Borrowed, Something Green. Yes. Quinn, do you want to tell us what happens in this episode? Oh, boy, do I. So I have not seen any of season two other than this episode. And guess what? I didn't need to. This was like basically, a, I sort of loved that this was sort of standalone as long as you know the characters. Um, yeah, um, for sure. I was not caught up, but I still was totally fine. I know. It's really sort of an amazing feat of television. Uh, but so Harley Quinn is in Arkham locked up for... Who knows what? I didn't watch this season. Uh, she was willing to, or she, oh, she, I, you wrote it down for me. Thank you for giving me that reason. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Harley Quinn is in Arkham because she willingly checked herself in to recover from a personal crisis. Ivy is hanging out with her semi estranged fiance, Kite Man, convincing him to go through with their wedding after all, after she cheated on him with Harley. Uh, and I think Harley yes. was also in love with Ivy and was sort of like get, trying to get over that unrequited love while she was in Ar- Arkham. Uh, right. Yes. I, and I just wanted to say that Ivy says that she should marry Kite Man because she knows that if he was a metal album, he would be Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, which is wild because that's not a metal album and it would be nobody's favorite even if it was. I think that's what he said, and I was just like, yeah, oh, someone's he- going to get this reference, and I'm really glad you did. <laughs> I was like the target audience for that. All right, so Commissioner Gordon is planning to crash Ivy's wedding because he's an asshole. Some mutual friends convince slash guilt trip Harley to come to the wedding as well, even though she was like, I don't want to. I don't think I'm welcome there. I- Ivy and I are in a bad place. Um, but she still goes anyway, uh, because she finds out from, I believe it was Two-Face that said like, hey, I think, uh, Gordon's gonna do something because Two-Face had told Gordon to do something at Ivy's wedding because Two-Face is Two-Faced. Ha 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 Um, okay, so... Gordon and a bunch of cops, fuck the police, are undercover at the wedding, and he's, like, disguised as, like, an Irish priest. Wild. Um, and Harley and, Harley comes to try and stop them. Of course, she keeps getting delayed or knocking out the wrong people, uh, and, uh, but, and Ivy notices and gets upset. She basically, she tries to kick her out. She doesn't believe Harley and asks her to leave, and as Harley leaves, she notices that the flowers are plastic, so all of the plan was real, like, she, she knew she was right. Uh, so Ivy wouldn't be able to control them and realizes that, so she realizes that she's right. Oh, she attacks the care uh, caterer and reveals that he's actually a cop. 
And unfortunately, the cops still released the gas, which was hidden in the plastic flowers, but the cops have gas masks. But because Harley punched out the caterer, who was a cop, she also has a gas mask. Uh, <laughs> and, and then she grabs a rocket launcher and blasts a hole through the ceiling, letting the gas out so the villains wake up. And uh, But she also grabs um, Kite Man and Ivy while they're still knocked out and they were handcuffed together at that point. Um, and takes them out into the back, into the yard while everything sort of goes chaos in the actual, like, what is it? The corn factory uh, where the ceremony was being held. Uh, and Harley, while, like, explosions are going on, is less like, I can marry you guys. I'm an ordained, ordained minister. And they're like, I actually don't want... And then, like, yeah. And then uh, Kite Man is like, actually, uh, Ivy, you don't want to get married to me and I don't want to get married to you because fuck this i've realized I, i've realized that you don't want to be with me even it's very plain as day uh and ivy's just like yes it is very plain as day and thank you for pointing out the obvious uh <laughs> so kite man flies away and the cops come after harley and ivy who jump into a car and they drive away harley confesses her love to ivy and ivy returns it and they kiss and they crash through a building and it's so good and they ride off into a stun on and into the sunset hurrah yeah it's so fucking good season three the they're on an island oh wait i've watched too far <laughs> Yeah, I, when watching it, I felt like this was such a good depiction of queerness in general because you really have it set up where Ivy has two paths ahead of her, like super heteronormativity where she's going to marry a man that she's like semi-interested in and have to bend to all these like patriarchal ideals of what makes her happy even though that doesn't go with her as a person. Or she can choose to be with Harley and I just felt like that was such a good, like, really the the plot in the conflict of this episode is Ivy overcoming internalized homophobia. And I found mm-hmm. that so well done and interesting. Yeah, yes. It, it It's not like anything is explicitly stated, I don't think, other than like, I love her and I love, I don't really love you. It's, it's not... Yeah. Yeah, it's not like a larger conversation other than what we see happening, uh, which is sort of nice because it's sort of like the, it's letting that the audience come to that realization themselves, even if they didn't want to come to that realization, because I'm sure there are some people yeah. who really fucking hate what they just did. Yeah. It's kind of like the opposite of Song of Achilles, where you come away with, like, the queer couple being the healthy choice, rather than, like, being in this weird position with Song of Achilles, where it's like, would Patroclus have been happier with the woman, but he's gay, so why would you set it up that way, plot-wise? And it's, like, so alarming. Um, and this was, like, the the total opposite, which was so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's and it's nice to see them. I don't know, get their happy ending. <laughs> yeah, in some way, and I, I, yeah, I really love that it. It was sort of a, just a standalone episode. You don't need to know really anything else. I, I love that about if the show can do that. It's amazing. So yes, yeah, it's, it's really impressive. Of television. 
Oh, let's talk about Ivy's physical appearance in the show. They did a redesign of her costume, which is really nice because she is no longer a burlesque dancer. Yeah, it's a huge change. Yeah, and it's simply green pants and, like, a leather jacket, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she's basically wearing, like, a motorcycle suit that is themed for plants is, I think, the best way to describe it. Yeah, probably not leather, um, but something leather-esque. Vegan leather. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, which I think is... Yeah, I'm... Fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very good. And I think her and Harley next to each other show like two different ideas of women who are in control of themselves presenting themselves yes. on like very different ends of the spectrum. Because Ivy's like long sleeve, long pants in Harley in like a like a crop top and like really short shorts. Mm-hmm. But they're both equally um, in charge of their appearance and, like, not over-sexualized. And it's just a really good example. It's a tricky line to tread, and they do it beautifully uh, in this show. Yeah, and, like, also, like, I I feel like all the depiction of the women in this show is actually very good. Um, But also, like, so do you want to talk about the slow burn aspect of their relationship? Like, they start out as, like, sort of volatile roommates like ivy like literally kidnaps harley from arkham i believe (laughs) you are in an abusive relationship get over this man (laughs) and it like actually works which is sort of amazing (laughs) takes a while i think yeah it does i think i like that there is slow burn romance because it allows the arc of harley becoming independent to like really come to an end before the arc of her and Ivy getting together even starts. Yes. I think that in and of (laughs) itself is very queer because it's like, like, could you imagine a man doing that, like rescuing Harley, quote unquote, rescuing Harley from an abusive relationship and then like giving her all the time she needs before pursuing anything romantic, you know, (laughs) like that's not going to happen. So it's like already so fucking like sapphic that Ivy was like, I just want to take care of you and like whatever that looks like is fine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really nice, it's, it's nice to see like, his Ivy isn't at that realization that she loves Harley in that way. Um, and and you see that sort of develop over the show. It's really nice. It yeah. sort of takes, I think, the everyday sort of consumer of Harley and Ivy content um, through the experience of, like, an experienced person in the fandom like, who's, like, come to the realization that these two characters sort of belong together in this way. Um, Yeah. And it's sort of nice. It's sort of like a a slow, um, not reveal, but unveiling, I guess, of just, like, ta-da! We've finally done it! (laughs) Yeah. Because definitely when you first watch the show, you're like, why aren't they kissing? Like, I thought that that we had this... (laughs) You know, like, I thought we did this already, like, but I in thought that reality, this was why the show existed. I thought, <laughs> I, yeah, like, this is, this is why I picked one? <laughs> to watch this. 
But I think Harley's arc is so important in the show and is probably, like, so comforting for so many queer people who, like, did not realize their own queerness or was not immediately comfortable with it. And also Mm -hmm. for survivors of domestic violence. Like, the amount of people who are represented in this show is pretty um insane especially considering it's like ostensibly about two white women it's a little like iffy because ivy is green and harley's (laughs) her skin is bleached yeah but like i think they're white women i don't know yeah wait is her skin bleached or is she wearing no she does have she is bleached in this one yeah animated series that she's wearing makeup okay yeah just had to put that in together in my brain um (laughs) No, that's so valid. It flip-flops. Yeah, I really like what you said about them sort of, like, unveiling it. Like, it's definitely always an inevitability in the show, but mm-hmm. they just roll it out really well. Yeah. Um. Oh, that made me think of uh, when I brought up, like, the makeup. Uh, I just wanted to bring up the character in the Tim Burton Batman that has... Uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. They do have a not Harley Quinn character, but it is a woman character who does wear um, uh, Joker-esque makeup. Like, she wears the white makeup, uh, which I think they have said was sort of, like, in part, the inspiration for Harley Quinn. Yeah. Uh, That sounds very familiar to me as well. I think, uh, yeah. It is interesting, like, how far she's come as a character. Like, she has her own show. Yeah. Harley is so popular. Like, really, really, like, really she's, popular. I, I, and she deserves to be more popular than the Joker. Like, I'm sure she's oh, not. Yeah. At, I don't know if she I don't know. Maybe she is. I really hope that she I is mean, more popular than him. He hasn't had a very good um version since uh, Heath Ledger. R.I.P. I know. Yeah, I haven't se- I haven't watched the Joker movies with um Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix. I always forget about that one. I feel like it lives in its own but little like artistic bubble. I have like an uh, a philosophical issue with it because I think the the like point of Joker is that he doesn't have a background. And then I also dislike that after the shooting that happened because not because of but sort of in response to the joker movie coming out with um heath ledger that they like doubled down and like put out an entire movie making him sympathetic that felt like a weird thing to do in the midst of a gun control crisis um and the the sequel is getting a harley quinn and i feel very nervous about that yeah isn't it like lady gaga is gonna be or something yes i believe it is lady gaga all right, Gaga. <laughs> Who, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't have any formed opinions because I haven't seen it and probably won't watch it, but it makes me nervous. That's for I damn know. sure. I know. That's the thing. It's like, I don't have to see it to have it make me nervous. <laughs> yeah, this just feels bad. <laughs> um, Yeah. Especially, like, we have this version of Harley in sort of the medium she was created in, which is an animated show. Like, she's really an animated show character. This is where she thrives. Mm-hmm. 
And this is, like, the perfect depiction of her. So it, it kind of makes me sad that we're going to see, like, a backwards version where she's back with the Joker and stuff. Like I know. And I'm, it, like, that really... That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, a lot of her story is domestic violence and spousal abuse. And I really don't need to see that. And, yeah. Um, from what they did with... The first Joker movie, I'm sure they're not going to shy away from showing the the bad stuff. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> this isn't about that worst one that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy with this depiction being, like, where Harley's arc goes... And I just think it's so interesting to, like, actually see a piece of media where, like, women, superhero media specifically, where women are, like, complicated and autonomous and not over-sexualized and happy, like, all of those things at once. Yeah, yeah. And I know things get a little bit more complicated in season three um, with their relationship just because Harley can't be comfortable. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. only because I've watched episode one of season three i have not watched further than that yet and again i haven't fucking finished season one um i'm watching this show way out of order uh, <laughs> it's That's fun okay. it's, it's how just I the classically watch animated shows i also watched i think the last season of the last airbender first um do we want to talk about gordon at all in this version i think we touched on him a bit yeah I find um, this depiction of Gordon really interesting. It is a little weird because I was a kid who liked Commissioner Gordon because I wasn't aware of what the police actually were, yeah. which is a he's racist institution dad. akin to the Klan. Like yeah, and like he's supposed to be really cool, and like Gotham police are supposed to be corrupt, and he's supposed to be like the good one, which is of course a myth. Mm-hmm. You can't be good and a cop, just like you can't be good and a Klansman. It's impossible, and um. You know, the police are just the updated, quote-unquote updated version of the Slave Patrol, which only exists because at the end of the 18th um, Amendment, the Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln said that if a black person commits a crime, they can be re-enslaved. And that is where the cops come from. They're literally invented and exist to incarcerate black folks so that we can still operate off of modern day slavery so all of that being said commissioner gordon cannot be a good person just like jim hopper from stranger things cannot be a good person just like andy sandberg in brooklyn 99 cannot be a good person and so it is very comforting that jim gordon is an asshole who's like rude to his family and failing at his job and totally incompetent because that is a real depiction of cops do you have feelings about this specific Jim Gordon? Um, yeah, I think he's fun. It's a fun sort of, um, yeah, he's a bad cop and it's fun to see him in that light. Um, it's sort of like in the old 60s um, animation, not animation, in the old 60s um, Adam West um TV show where it had, like, Commissioner Gordon and Officer O'Hara, where it had, like, a terrible Irish cop stereotype. I feel like this version of Gordon is they mixed those two characters, and they're like, nope, we get to have a drunk Commissioner Gordon who says whatever, says dumb shit, um, and does dumb shit, and it's sort of 
it's silly, but we also take it seriously because he's a cop, and that's not a cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think just the idea that, like, there are probably kids watching... Well, this is really not a cartoon for kids, I suppose, but the idea that, like, this is now the depiction of a cop versus, like, pieces of propaganda um, is comforting, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. When a show about slavery is on CBS. About modern-day slavery, I should specify. By the way, that is the fire one, the firemen, when they send prisoners to fight fire because it's slavery and it's free labor, and we get to risk their lives. Guess what? No. That's such a fucked up concept for a TV show. Um... (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you just shouldn't make pieces of media. Sometimes it's just a bad idea. I know. And I'm pretty sure it has like two or three seasons by now. And it's just like, why? How? Yeah. I remember when that was coming out and being like, no, no, that's a fucked up idea. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 put that back. Oh, 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 it's out. It's out already. It's all, oh, oh, it's already have 25 episodes. Oh, oh, and you renewed it. Like- <laughs> yeah. So deeply upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, now I'm excited to go back to, like, finish the Harley Quinn TV show. I am, too. I'm Yeah, I need to watch the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we were originally supposed to have a guest this week, Karen from Prophecy Radio, who really loves Harley Quinn, but we had a lot of scheduling issues and such. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, so sorry, Karen, but we did uh, ask Karen to kind of, like, summarize her love of Harley so that we could read it to you all, Um, Mm -hmm. and so we're going to do that really quick. Okay. Karen said, though I grew up watching Harley Quinn on my screen, my love for her character developed more recently as she began to evolve from her origin story as the Joker's girlfriend and plaything into a woman who took charge of her own life. Harley's trajectory from a villain to an anti-hero is fascinating, and I love this new narrative surrounding her as a character separate from the Joker. As anyone who has been in a toxic or abusive relationship can attest, it can be extremely difficult to separate yourself from your abuser and rediscover yourself as a person. There are several pieces of Harley Quinn media that have shown the ups and downs of her journey, though my favorite so far has been Birds of Prey. The scene of Harley crashing the truck into Ace Chemicals, where Dr. Harley and Quinzel was transformed into Harley Quinn, was such an important step in that process, and so cathartic for anyone who knows what it means to finally choose yourself. The Harley Quinn show on HBO has also portrayed how difficult it can be to let go of someone you love who also happens to be terrible for you, as well as the incredible life you can lead once you've healed. Over the last few years especially, Harley has been given room to become her own person, and all the people who have helped her bring her to life have worked hard to ensure her story is told right, bruises and all. It's something that has spoken to me on the deepest levels, and I can't wait to see how Harley continues to transform in all of the stories being told about her. So we're very thankful for Karen. Yes, hopefully Karen can come back for another episode. Unfortunately, we're done with Harley. (laughs) Unless we have a Patreon episode or something like that. We'll come back. (laughs) Yeah, we do love Harley very much. Um, But also, like, she's in such a good spot that, like, we don't, we're not 
asking for yeah. much else. We're so happy exactly. with where we're We don't want her. to have to come back. If we come back with another Harley Quinn episode, something bad has happened. Something went terribly uh-huh. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Lady Gaga, please. <laughs> <laughs> we're begging you. Stephanie, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is like one of our shorter episodes just because we had good things to say. So we I were. Know, it was a, it was a, not a screaming about the terribleness of life. Um, yeah. Good things have happened for these characters and it's wonderful to see. Um, when the fandom can um, be listened to by the giant corporation overlord that owns its characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the power of fandom. Okay, uh, are we ready to... Um, talk about what we're gonna take away from harley and or ivy today uh i guess i guess so all right what you taking from harley quinn quinzel doctor i (laughs) harleen phd yeah um i think that often it can be difficult to assert your ideology in its fullness or your identities in its fullness if it's, like, countercultural and abrasive and things. And I like that both Harley and Ivy are, like, very plain and clear about themselves and their beliefs and what they're doing. Um, I really like, there's a line in the Harley Quinn show where somebody calls Ivy a villain and she's like, no, I'm an eco-terrorist. And I love that she, like, chooses that label for herself. Um... And so, like, yeah, I just feel like this is more inspiration to just, like, call yourself a communist to your grandma, even if, you know, it's going to piss her off. Like, it's, like, it's fine if you could just call her bootlicker if she's angry about it. Um, Yeah, and, like, even with, uh, like, Ivy and Harley both work so hard to accept their queerness and the life that they want to live and stuff, and I think it's... Uh, difficult but important to like fully present yourself how you want to be perceived and what you believe and not mm-hmm. worry so much about who has negative feelings about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I sort of agree. I would like to, I with you, I feel like my translation for that very long, eloquent description <laughs> is you want to take her I don't give a fuck attitude. Uh, which is really yeah. beautiful, and I was sort of thinking along the same lines. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, We're not yeah, going to give any you, fun. You definitely said it a little bit more eloquently than I. <laughs> Yours is catchier, though. <laughs> um. Yeah, these two characters are just, like, complete badasses, and they really don't take anybody's shit. They know who they are. Um, and of course it takes a little bit of work for Harley to do that, but that work is extremely admirable and it's amazing that we get the chance to see her go through that in the comics or in the animation, in animated series or movies. Um, it's just sort of amazing to see that, um, um, story be told. Unfortunately, it's not one that we see a lot. Uh, and and often it's not done very well, but with the sort of treasure 
of the medium that is a superhero in a comic um, medium uh, is, uh, or media, is that it's, this story is retold over and over again and people get to do their own little twists. So it's amazing to see, all right, this started as a good story. It is now evolved into an amazing story that is very emotional and touching and um, a lot of people can learn from, which is um, not something you can see a lot uh, with sort of the evolution of media. Yeah. And I think, too, it's comforting for characters like Harley and Ivy where they didn't start here. Like, there's been a whole journey. And so even if you're not ready to do this tomorrow there's room for growth and for this to be like the finish line, not necessarily the starting point. Yes. God, these characters, such amazing character people. Okay. The Monstrous Woman podcast is co-hosted by Quinn Albert and Megan Peterson. Produced and edited by Megan Peterson. And our social media is run by Quinn Albert. Follow us on Instagram at the Monstrous Woman Pod. We'll link our socials, our Patreon, and our Redbubble store below if you would like to see more from us. And you can email us your thoughts, feelings, and opinions at the Monstrous Woman Pod at gmail.com. Yes, please do. Do you have a favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series? Tell us. Uh, so our cover art is by Tyler Peterson. And we are distributed by Anchor. Thank you for listening. Um, do you want me to do the credits or do you want to do the credits? I can do it. You, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right so credits for this episode we pulled from who is poison ivy the origins of dr pamela and pamela isley by carol on comic book treasury harley quinn's real origin revealed on screen rant batman the animated series wiki page for the episode mad love harley quinn wiki page for the episode something borrowed something green or something green uh, Batman the Animated Series, Mad Love, like that actual TV show. We watched it. Uh, and then also Harley Quinn TV show on HBO. I don't know what the actual name is. It that just feels like the full title. We watched the episode Something Borrowed, Something Green. And all of the links for these texts are in the show notes. <laughs>